Just even in my life, I tried to just do everything the most efficient way possible. Because the key now is like you've got to that level, and that's awesome. Let's keep you here. In Counter-Strike, so many of the things are in the timing, right? Sometimes one second is way too much. Because I feel like some of my persona in Counter-Strike changed who I was as a person. Oh, what? Jumping double for Cone! Today, I'm talking with Steeko. Now, many of you will be most familiar with Steeko from his time on the 2018 Mouse Sports lineup that comprised Sunny, Steeko, Oscar, Chris J, and Rops. And this was certainly a fan favorite lineup that managed to accomplish a huge degree, being effectively a top four team, making many grand finals throughout the year and really having a lot of success and innovating on maps such as Mirage and, and so much more. Uh, he has since, of course, disappeared, bounced around a few teams, but has rediscovered himself as he's also reinvented himself in the game. And that's one of the topics of this conversation is we try to investigate how he managed to do that, how he looks at performance and how things are truly going with Godsend. You may have noticed I've been speaking not just with players or talent, but others whose expertise serves to push the envelope in our continually developing industry. This is the DDK Show. If you enjoy it, subscribe on YouTube, give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, support on patreon.com forward slash DDK Esports, or simply connect with me on Twitter at DDK Esports. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Twitter, consider mentioning ideas, people, or topics you find interesting. This still is a side project for me, and the positive support really helps. And now, here's my conversation with Stika. All right, so I have Stika with me. Hey, man, how's it how's it going? <laughs> you actually reached out to me to, to do this interview. It's not normally how it works, by the way. Yeah, I, I felt interested into sharing some points on. It came to me after a leash uh, podcast episode uh, when I realized that damn, maybe maybe this is finally content where you know people struggle looking for on uh, YouTube and whatever. And I felt like sharing some things that uh, weren't necessarily mentioned in podcast with Alish. And then I, I heard uh, the one with Stewie as well. And after that one, I immediately reached out to you then saying that, yeah, if you if you have some ideas to chat about, I'm up for it because it seems like it's going to be meaningful conversation. Not just me talking to you, but me learning from you as well and uh, vice versa. So. So for those people who are Counter-Strike fans and, you know, have their finger on the pulse that, you know, reading social media and stuff, I feel like you're pretty active. You're, you always have something insightful to say about, you know, whether it's a patch change or just, you know, things that are going on in the scene. And sometimes, you know, you have some you know, really humorous stuff that you tweet as well. Like, I feel like your Twitter game is pretty strong. So, uh, and, and for me, so, you know, somebody that was so used to seeing you um, in mouse sports, especially in 2018. And obviously as, as a player, you know, you're, it's hard to miss you at that point. You're at all of the big tournaments, you know, mouse sports, you know, with that 2018 roster was doing extremely well. And then obviously there was, you know, a change in the mouse sports, you know, lineup and you, you left, you left that team and so on. But I still feel like you're very present and it now, you know, feels like you're on, you know, a, a team, which you found a lot more comfort on. So I will get into, into that in more detail, but uh, going back to your point about the the interviews that you you heard with uh, Elysian Stewie, were there any points in particular uh, of interest for you that that you feel like you wanted wanted to discuss 
what you found particularly interesting? Yeah, so I will start off with the leash. Um, it was the first one that I heard, and uh, I especially like the way uh, he mentioned his uh, mindset throughout the consistency and uh, what kind of level he can bring into the team. So if you remember the talk, he mentioned uh, something called A game, B game, and C game. So if you're at your best, you, you should be playing your A game and you want to get to that point uh, as much as possible and as consistently as possible. Then you have a B game where, you know, you're kind of average kind of player where you're not hitting super nutty shots. You don't have uh, sick frags or anything, but you're just keeping everything stable. You want to, you want to be stable in that kind of team that uh, you want to help your team out with comms and everything. And then you have your C game, which is your worst game possible when everything feels off you're you're not hitting your shots uh, your timings are off uh, your nades might be failing your communication is a little bit lacking you might overcome or undercome in that sense and uh, it felt like I never thought about it this way maybe it's part of it because I never really had a real talk with the psychologist or whatever esports psychologist. I had access to one when I was uh, on my time in Cloud9. Uh, we spoke a bit, but it was really short tenure than I, that I had in the team. So it was not really kind of productive way. It was just kind of, you know, we were just getting known to each other. So I, I after that, I realized, damn, he's right. The leash is completely right in this ABC kind of game. Then I presented it to some of my friends that are not really into CS and they said, yeah, that's how it works in other part of games as well, not necessarily esports, but maybe sports game as well. So, actual sports. And then I started thinking about it: how to bring my A game to most consistent level and to bring up bring it up as much as possible. Then I thought about B game: how to make it again more consistent in a way that I can help out my teammates when I'm not really, you know, in this mood where you hit every shot and every flick. And then how to bring my consistency into C game as well. That's, let's say I'm not hitting any good shots. Okay, I, I really need to get at least 15 tracks up the board and uh, help out with my comms or in-game leading as much as possible. So Leash brought it up to me as a, as a raw information. And then I started thinking about it, how to make it consistent. And consistency is like super overlooked uh, part of the CS, I think, in pro level. And uh, that's what I've been working on for the majority of 2019 since I left Mouseports. Yeah, that's um, that's a really interesting point. I always call consistency like the, um, I don't actually know if this analogy makes sense, um, but like the snow leopards um, kind of going after this, um, there's all the kind of Buddhist stories where it's like this idea that there's like this, this snow leopard, you can't quite see it, you know, you're trying to catch it. And it's uh, consistency to me was always something like that. You know that it is out there, but it's so hard to grasp it in terms of being a professional player, like you say, I think that's something that uh, it might be harder to put into perspective for people that haven't uh, reached the professional level because the, the professional level, you know, it, the, the smallest edges can really impact the scoreboard pretty massively or the result pretty enormously. And so, and if you've ever had like a, a week or a month where you played extremely well, or even just a match, now in your mind, there's this reference point of, I am capable of that that amazing performance. And so once you achieve that, there's always this idea of, well, how do I do that all the time? And it's, it seems to be so difficult. And Counter-Strike especially has so many variables. I mean, it's not like Quake, for example, where you know maybe in Quake you'll play a one versus one format and there's almost no random elements. 
And so there's a lot less variables to worry about. But in Counter-Strike, there's nine other players on the server. There's so many, every single game is vastly different. So it's it's um, always interesting to me to hear people's thoughts on how do they actually achieve this. And, and you talking about kind of going through the A game, the B game, and the C game, I think it's really interesting to to get your perspective on this because uh, when when I'm talking to uh, people who have heard these ideas from those podcasts you mentioned, and you know, I usually just say to them, you know, the the, the starting point is just to make references, just to understand, you know, try try to look at the game, you know, your game, and when you're playing, like when you're on absolutely on fire, try to make references based on, you know, you know what what is the difference between that level versus an average level or a bad level. Try to like find as many cues as possible so that you can start understanding what is you know, what you're dealing with. And that, that in, in of itself, that awareness is very, very difficult. So, so what are the sort of strides you've made uh, in this, like in your game? Do you, have, do you have specific reactions? Do you feel like you have a really good sense now for when you're playing really well or, you know, you're in that, let's say, you know, B game, you're in the middle of the ground and how, how do you respond when you're playing the game? Yeah, you're exactly right. To make references is super important. That's what I wanted to bring up. Uh, so for me personally, I started making references as soon as I finished that podcast pretty much with the leash. Uh, I started making notes before each practice day and before each match day. What did I do that day? And uh, then after after a practice day or match day, I could tell, okay, I was hitting pretty good shots today. I was feeling really good on the server. I was out aiming opponents that I shouldn't be out aiming uh, on practice. Let's say we practice whatever, just for reference. Let's play, we, we played Navi and I, I out aimed or out opt simple in three duels, which I had no business winning. I was like, wow, if, if I can bring this to my tournament level and actual official game level, this is something I can really work on. And that's exactly what I started doing. I started making references. Let's say after this successful practice day, I noted down things I did before that, before the practice started. So let's say I started note. It came to little obscurities, uh, like when I wake up, exact time when I wake up. Uh, what did I have for breakfast? Uh, when did I eat breakfast? Did I skip breakfast? Did I have a shower before, or did I take a bath? It, it came down to little things like this. Uh, was it? Was I? Let's say, did I warm up for too long? Did I warm up for 30 minutes? Did I watch any demo beforehand? Did I, I don't know, have any arguments within the family? So even this psychological mindset, it was, I, I realized it was affecting me. And whenever I had a good game, I realized there was no arguing me with, with friends, no arguing me with family, parents, whatever. I had to be in you know mental state where everything was kind of all right and I didn't have any troubles that day. So I tried and I realized this out of these references. This is how I, I'm playing well. And uh, then I figured out, all right, if this is a match day and I, and I really need to be on point today, I'm going to avoid all communication with friends that, or family that might cause this kind of you know, arguing. And therefore, I'm, I'm going to be well mentally before the game. So, and it might sound weird, but this is how I basically referenced my good games to be in a most productive shape as I can be on practice. So yeah, th I came, it came down from, for, I mean, it came down to noting down little things like this. 
I think there's um, a couple of things you touched on there, which I think are really, really huge. I, I think one thing that most people are not willing to do is, uh, of course, uh, noting things down, like just actually journaling. I think uh, when I was talking to Jared Tendler, um, uh, so again, I'm just like, felt, felt so privileged to get him on the podcast because he's such an amazing uh, communicator of like sports psychology. And he was talking again, like, you know, about how important it is to, to actually write things down and to me, like, you know, another big point you're, you're touching on here is just the emotional relationship or rather, sorry, the relationship between us and, and our performance that, you know, that whole aspect of it, that's just completely emotional. And I feel like that's something that no, again, people don't talk about. And from what I can see, um, in, in my experience and, and just the observations I've made so far, it seems to be extremely important for so many different reasons. And one of those reasons seems to be because if, as you say, like you have any stress or anxiety or, or distractions, you know, firstly, that's a very inconsistent mental space to be in, in terms of your performance. And, and I also noticed that, you know, that's already, that can already happen when you're playing like that, you know, those kinds of things can already happen when you're playing. So if you're having a difficult game or your performance isn't great, it can, you can very quickly sink into a pretty bad space and that just compounds the problem and you will just play awful from that point forwards. But as you say, if you're able to at least have that control over, over, you know, where you are emotionally and prime yourself to, to have the most fun with the game, you're at your most creative, you're at your most in intuitive, which really like intuition is game sense, really game, you know, by a different word. And, and so it's, um, that emotional relationship, I think is really important. And people don't quite talk about it enough. Do you, do you feel like, um, did you feel like that is echoing the things that you're experiencing that like, if you're always really happy, that's when you can hit a better level. Obviously, obviously. you can hear, you can hear it and see it in the players. Uh, when they're playing at the tournament, it's a really important game. Uh, when they're making jokes, inside jokes, and they're, you know, clapping after the round when they're fist bumping, you see them in a happier mood and they will perform better. It just goes hand in hand. It's it's a correlation that you can't take out of humans. Whenever you're doing well, you're going to feel well. It's, it's a no-brainer, right? When you think about it. But it goes hand in hand in a way where if you don't perform good, then obviously you're going to have these, you know, smirks on your face that obviously you should have gotten that kill, you should have gotten that trade, you didn't do it, and then you feel bad and you try try to forget it as, as quickly as possible. But in that sense, you you forget to fist bump your teammates and you do it, you do it, you, you can see it on the players. Like there are first games on the tournaments and you're when you're casting a game, sometimes you even see the players themselves and you can, I'm pretty sure you can tell that some player is having off game just by looking at him. You don't even need to see his monitor or spectate the game. And uh, so I, I want to make it as not visible as possible. Meaning that um, if I'm having a terrible game, I don't want to lose my comms, for example. I want to keep coming like I do when I have a good game. And this is something you can work on. It's not uh, it's not like, okay, you're not going to hit every shot. You're not going to make that consistent. But you can make consistent your comms and your information that you give to your teammates. You can make your in-game leader more, more consistent by helping him out with different kind of strats, different kind of defaults that you run, and, and so on. This is something you can make consistent. Some things you can't. And don't worry about it. You can make it always 100%. You can maximize it by, let's say, what you said, journaling down. 
extremely under underappreciated this, this journaling thing because I wouldn't be sitting here and telling you that uh, let's say arguing with friends leading to bad performance if I hadn't journaled it beforehand and now I can just look over my left open the notebook and I see it written down here you know it's I wouldn't remember this I would remember a ton of different stuff but I brought up certain point that I want to talk about. And that's something that I journaled beforehand, let's say two months ago, and uh, I brought it up now on this podcast. So this is, it's super important to write things down, I think. Yeah. And, and yeah. And one extra thing about how important it is as well, I think is the fact that if you write something down in the moment and try to just write down what, what you've experienced then, it's not, sub it's not subjected to any biases in the future when you're trying to remember why, oh, you know, this is why I played well. Or this is why I played badly. I, th I think typically if we try to think back, we're often going to just, we will lean into biases that we have. They can be obviously many different things, but it's rarely going to be, you, you, I feel like you're very rarely correct. It's kind of like when you look back at a, a demo after playing a match, when you're playing the match, the kind of mindset that you're in, and obviously you're only in one perspective, makes you feel like, oh, the oh we lost the match in this, in this moment. And you go and watch the demo and you're like, holy shit, I didn't even see all this stuff. And this, this is the stuff that actually put us in a really bad position or actually the thing that I thought was bad actually wasn't that bad. Um, and that's, that's, that's a revelation I, I had many, many years ago from watching demos. It's quite kind of a holy shit moment. Exactly. You're right. I think uh, that um, writing things down is so important that, you know, if you're a player, you know, the moment you lose the match, you, you know, it just like you described it right now, you know that, okay, this is probably it. We're, we're losing this game. It's 15, 14 and suddenly it's one V three and you know it, but in your head, it's going to be, you're going to wave a hand above the situation saying, okay, I will remember this for the next time. But the fact is you don't, if you don't write it down and you don't keep reminding yourself of the situation, okay, it might be a little bittersweet because you lost because of this. You lost because you failed a smoke. But if you stop reminding yourself the reason you lost, you're eventually going to repeat it. This is why journaling down is so important. You can have just a scrappy notebook by your by your table and just write down stupid things like, okay, Inferno got sent against Navi. We lost because we lost every afterplant. And if you if you're gonna like flip through your notebook and you're gonna see it every time you flip through it, you're gonna be so aware next Inferno retake or afterplant scenario that okay, this is why I wrote this down. Let's not lose this round. And you're going to communicate better. You're going to remind your teammates, hey guys, we have Nate here. Use this, use that, use this flash, whatever. You know, it's just going to, you're just going to be so conscious of this situation again, just by writing this down. It's insane. It's so underrated in my opinion. It's, um, it's also so useful as well. And just like, if you want to work on stuff, it's, it's so awesome to just have a list to just look at and be, and you can just see, as you say, like you can actually just see it. You can see it written down. These are all the things as opposed to like relying on our memory or, you know, which is just, our memory just kind of sucks, honestly. And it's, it's just not the, a great way yeah. for us to, to be able to program our own improvement is, is by doing it all in our heads. It just doesn't really work out like that very well. And one thing too, about talking about references and, you know, something that you were mentioning, you know, one thing that I think is, is interesting is, you know, once you can kind of name it and, you know, put that name to something when it's happening, then you have so much power because you can, it's, this is like a big thing with tilt, for example. You know, various people have different triggers, and if if you if you try to catch yourself, and if you say to yourself, "Okay, next time I get really mad, I'm I'm gonna try to like 
make sure that I, I, I try to understand what, you know, what's happening. Like, why am I rad right now? And try to figure that out and then start to figure out what your triggers are. And then once you do that, you get to see when it's starting. And then that's when you can stop it. That's when you have the power to stop that, you know, that whatever the trigger is from kind of getting worse to the point of no return. And I think there's, you know, you were talking about communication too. And it's so common that people, um, especially, um, you know, us nerdy introverts, that we, uh, when we're having a bad game, we'll get quieter because we're, we're having a hard time. And you kind of go inside yourself and you just, you just, you just don't feel good. So, you know, that's, that's how you're feeling. And so you communicate less, as you say. But I challenge anybody who's listening to this, who's a Counter-Strike player or a player of any team game or sport to next time you have a hard game and you, and you just try to notice when your communication, because there's, there's always a point where your communication starts to get worse and you know which point that is because you start to kind of mentally give up on the game. So in, try to recognize that moment and communicate over communicate. Take that as it'll be very uncomfortable because you specifically are trying to not communicate because you're feeling bad and that's the normal reaction that's happening. But you need to subvert that normal reaction and force yourself to communicate. And that's and, and because as as uh, you know, Sika is saying here, you know, that's obviously like a really big deal. Like, you know, so, as soon as you start to give up like that, then then the whole team is suffering. The entire team is suffering as well. So I think it's it's uh, I think you know we've covered a few a few good points there in terms of of those elements of performance uh, based off of what Alicia was saying. And one other thing I think you know that that I would love to ask you about because I'm sure you've been thinking about this too is you know we talk we've been talking about the the idea of the A B and C game, but have you thought about the idea of you know flow state much or you know what you know that looks like for you or or how you can prime yourself best to be in a position to reach something like that? Say it again. What do you, what do you what do you want me to reach? Flow. Uh, flow state flow state what was yeah, flow state like um like when you're in the zone it's like when right. when everything slows down you hit every single shot you you make every correct read yeah so for me personally i don't think it feels like a sustainable approach to counter strike to be mm, always in the zone just because it's impossible for for a human being to i think all, always be on point in something uh, like a video game that is not consistent at all. Uh, let's say you can be in this kind of mindset and flow in, let's say, chess, where everything you know feels the same up until the certain point. But in video game like like Counter Strike, I don't feel like that's really possible just because of how many variables there are to every round. Every no round in Counter Strike is the same ever. Same with the chess game, but still, it's it leads at least like ten moves. It's gonna be, uh, it takes like ten moves to get a completely new game on the board, for example. So what I'm trying to say here is that you don't really need to find your way to be the best when you're in the zone where where you're hitting everything. But I think what you're really should be searching for is consistency across all the ABC game that we that we mentioned so let the whatever there might be decide what you're gonna what game is gonna be yours today let's say if you're if you slept really well and you're feeling really good you're out aiming anyone that's your a game but you shouldn't be the one forcing it to happen you know you once it happens you have to overtake it and then you know play accordingly and you know what kind of peaks you can uh, you can do against certain opposition uh, then 
if you if you're not feeling very good and you're on your B game, then uh, you should again let it happen and then play your B game as best as you can. And if C game happens, well, do the same thing with it as well. You just want to avoid C game as much as possible, but don't force yourself to be always on the A game because I don't think that's going to work in the long run because I don't think it's really possible. I think uh, I think that's a a really great answer to that question because I, I think that's uh, it, it's an interesting uh, mind state to be in, and it's it's almost this um, that you have to, as you say, you just let you just want to be in a space where if it happens, it happens. You can't predict it. You can't like you can't control. You can't. There's no there's no button that you can press where it just it just happens. So you just want to be in a good good place and have a good average. And if it happens, it happens. And and I think that's a, a really really a uh, smart and grounded way to look at it because I do think that sometimes people try to they try too much to always be at the at the the absolute tip top of their game at the absolute top level as opposed to just accepting that some days you're going to play worse and it's not it's not your fault necessarily I mean if you, if you if you're doing everything you can at least to try to prevent it from happening it's not your fault necessarily but it's just part of being a human being so I definitely agree with that take. I think I think uh, the way that you approach things is really smart, and uh, it's it's really cool to see like how much you know information you're taking on to try to like, better your game. And you know, one thing that I think that's been really interesting I, uh, about you as a player is that you've done so many different things in terms of roles and reinventing yourself. And I I, th- I remember actually I think I did an interview with you, thinking like 2016 or something like that. I think when you were back on Hellraisers and it was like, we had this like FPL show at Face It and I did this little interview with you. And uh, at that time you were talking about how you'd, um, you're just trying to do the best job you could for your team. So your team didn't have, I, th- I think at the time it was like, they didn't have, oh, well, I forget which role it was, but you're like, well, I'm usually playing this, but I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. And you're like very team focused and team minded. And, uh, you know, these days you know, we've seen you kind of go out from this lineup like Mouse Sports, which had these just incredible star level players where you were very much taking a back seat to, I mean, you know, to, to someone like Oscar or Sonny or, you know, Rops and, uh, you know, even Chris J uh, to an extent. And, uh, and you took that back seat as more of a, a, a support player of someone that's not being put in those positions to have the crazy fragging games. But now it feels like you've reinvented yourself uh, once again into more of a star player to, to be someone that is extremely capable um, at, at, as you said, you know, having and winning these fights against the, uh, in the most elite, you know, aimers and, and in-fight players in the world. So t- talk to me about that transition um, from, from those two different sides of the spectrum, from more of a support backseat to more of a in-your-face, kill-everyone <laughs> type of player. Yeah, yeah. So when I, when I left Mouseports, I was obviously being a, being a mainly support player there. But uh, when I left, I had like two months of no team and I, I, I did a lot of thinking, what should I do next? I was pretty sure that I'm going to land on a team. Anyway, there, there were offers coming in. I just had to choose the right one. And there was a, there was a problem with me taking a grasp of this free agency and, and stuff like this. So what, what I said up front when, uh, when Michael Ella asked me to join their team back then uh, in a no chance, I t- told them up front, I don't want to join the team just to be support player on this level. I want to, I want to become more of an all-around player. I want to take less supportive roles and more of a action roles or uh, roles that are carryable, you know, that I can carry my team with. Because in support, 
the roles, it's not really possible, just given the fact that you, you have to buy certain stuff uh, and drop orbs to your star players and stuff like this. So you're going to end up on the receiving end on, in most of the times, and it's really hard to carry as a support unless you, you have insane clutching abilities uh, when you look at, you know, uh, Zipnix, for example. So I, I came to the team uh, telling them I want to be more of an all-around player, and uh, this idea came from Automatic. I, uh, when I played on Cloud9, he really showed me what an all-around player is. Uh, I think he was capable of literally everything. He was insane pistol player. He was insane oper. When he get to pick it up, um, he was great rifler. He was doing great inputs on in-game leading towards golden. He was helping out with the strategies, preparation, theory on the server. So he's literally part of everything. And I really want to be that kind of a guy saying that if I said this on HLTV uh, interview as well, but I'm going to mention it again. If, hypothetically speaking, there's going to be a team tomorrow that uh, writes me an email and um, let's say my contract with Godsend ends tomorrow and they want me to sign, be, be signed as a, let's say, secondary opener slash rifler, they would look at me as an option. If they would be looking for support, would look at the options because I have. I still remember how to support. They want more of a lurk position. They would look into me as well because I am now on the T side of Godsend. I'm more of a lurker, so I want to be literally capable of everything, and I want to master everything. I know it sounds goofy. It's impossible to master it, but I want to be ready for any opportunity that comes uh, wherever wherever it might take us in a, in a tier one tournaments. For example, when we're, when we're going to go to the tier one events with Godsend, I want to be the best of my kind, not on the server, but on the whole tournament. So it really warms my heart when I, when I see myself on top of the scoreboard. And then in the, in the let's say, post-game, they mentioned that you did a really good uh, job on aspects that you practiced for months prior to the tournament. So I want to be as much all-around player as possible, and that's why I'm saying the reinvention had to come because I couldn't be supporting players on the, you know tier two, tier three scene because that would just show again not necessarily a good stats, and that would show myself as a guy who is not capable of uh, matching myself up with a tier two, tier three scene, which is I knew it's not true. And I had to prove it, and I think I'm proving it right now with the correct role on uh, under my name. You know, so I mean that's that's uh, honestly it's it's really cool to hear because I think that, as you say, there is this uh, uh, there's this possibility that of support players or people that get known in a team for being a support player that that team might get you know gutted at some point. You know, you know, let's say mouse sports for example. You know, it's very possible that. Okay, maybe they do rebuild the, the lineup and they'll keep two of the more star players and but maybe they'll lose an orper, maybe they'll lose a support player, and and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, who's the most you know valuable in this in the stats department? Obviously, people don't necessarily look at teams from the best perspectives. They try to get the the you know hardest hitting hitting players they can statistically, but that's obviously that the game is a lot more complicated than that. And and whether or not, you know, it it should be the case that they, they should pick up a, a support player as opposed to like a really star level rifler um, for their team. I feel like it's we don't really have a, a great way to sh truly show the impact that 
a player can have in a team, it's not as visible, it's not as tangible, um, unfortunately, outside of the team. So it does feel like there is this dilemma for people that were in a position such as yours. So I'm really happy to see that you had this dilemma and you found an answer to it and you, you know, worked towards that solution. And speaking of which, obviously, you know, one of the things that you've been doing is uh, throwing out, uh, you know, amazing, like, uh, you know, highlight movies and stuff from yourself playing. And, uh, you know, those are, you know, really amazing to watch. And, and so obviously, you know, one of the things you, you've surely have been working a lot on is your mechanics and your mouse control, your ability to, to, to frag out. So can you, can you take me through some of the, did you have a change of how you were training? Can you take me through your, you know, your training methodologies and so on for, you know, for sharpening up those mechanics and, and really fine tuning that element of your game? Yeah, definitely. So there were, there's, there's just a lot of that match, but it's nothing different from what I've been uh, experiencing on, on my mouse sports times. I have pretty much the same routine I had back then. So I, I just I just warm up with bots a little bit, then I hop onto the real deathmatch server against real people, and I practice there for like 30 or 40 minutes uh, with every gun possible. I mean, from the rifles, obviously, that you use the most, so AK, SG, and M4. And sometimes I op a little bit just to you know get a feeling of it if I need to save the op, if I need to pick it up as a double op setup or whatever i just want to you know be ready for any scenario that might happen in game or in practice now so yeah routine didn't change that much but um what changed for me is uh the way i approach watching demos and uh, povs of other players i focus on different kind of stuff on different kind of players as well so for example when i was on mouse sports and i was watching demos i was looking at the people who are playing my position who were and, and you don't learn so much from it because it's not about them hitting insane shots or taking great angles. It's just mostly them clutching and there's nothing you can learn. You can't take anything out of it. It feels like you're more of a not learning, but you're not learning yourself or you're, you're not teaching yourself. You're mostly studying your opponent. You know, this this one guy, when it ends up in a clutch against him, you probably know his tendencies because you watched, watched a lot of his demos. But you're not really learning anything. Uh, because these kind of players, these support players, I feel like they contribute towards like communication, polishing uh, comms, polishing strats, bringing up ideas in uh, clutch scenarios. And that's something you can't see from the POV demo. So right now, when I'm focusing on a demo and I watch, let's say, someone who's playing my roles on uh, Inferno, let's say, I look towards ropes a lot. And I every demo I see and I watch from him, I learn something new, which is something I haven't experienced for a long time when I was a support player. Because there's not much to learn. There's pretty much routines, how to stop Virage on Mirage. And every player does something differently. And that's pretty much it. You, you rely on your teammates to come and help you. So it's not like you're grinding your individual game, but more of a team game where you call your teammates to help for you or you bait for them. But now when you're watching these star players, I sometimes watch Zaivu demos as well. So when I see his opening, I, I just want to... If I would be an oper and I have access to Zaivu POVs, I would just watch that thing all the time. Same with device. And I would just constantly do it, grind it all the way. But when I was a supportive player, I didn't really have this luxury to, you know, copy someone. Because there's nothing to copy. Everything's pretty much the same. 
you you're stuck with your nades on different parts of the map and you're just trying to hold hold of the rush kill maybe two guys and uh yeah well then hope for your team to retake the side or something so in povs it definitely changed so uh, you know right now you know if you're mentioning robs and is, is he still the person you watch the most when you're looking to to you know learn new things or other other players you go to as well depending on the map so i i watch a lot of ropes because just we we share so much positions right now but i'll i'll go towards flamey demos sometimes when it comes to nuke then um, a lot of twist demos when i look towards vertigo for example so it's kind of these players that are playing at the extremities but at the same time they're in the action zone they're not extremities like zipniks let's say on Mirage, where he's a B apps player, and uh, or it, it used to be before they insta ban Mirage. But you know what I'm trying to say. They are kind of extremist players that are there not to hold the side necessarily, but to counterplay terrorists. And you have your teammates to do it. So so you can use your teammates as a help with the nades, as a help with the wall banks, whatever, while you are making play somewhere else. I didn't have that luxury on mouse boards because if I chose to make a play, I know there was no one else behind me because there were so many playmakers already. And if I decided to make a play, I failed. It pretty much consulted in the lost round, which ultimately gives you gives away your confidence, gives away your, you know, just mental consistent in the game. Looking backwards on the on the round, it, it was you who lost that round and teammates were in no position to stop it. So uh, you try to avoid those plays and that kind of made me a player I was. I was way too passive and I was way too predictable. And uh, yeah, but that's the thing I realize now, now that I'm star player and I'm not really that predictable, I think. So now I realize I was way too predictable. Right, that makes a lot of sense now. You've had the benefit of all these other perspectives. And uh, speaking of which, has there been any revelation moments when, when you're watching some POV demos and you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't understand this or I didn't see this. And this is now this is going to change like so much of how I'm going to like deal with these problems or play these positions. Uh, do, do you have you had any you know bigger revelation moments like that? Not really, not really. I, it feels to me like when I watch Rob's demos and I and I see what he's doing and I'm questioning, uh, why is he doing this? Then I look at the radar and I see his teammates, you know, doing different stuff that suddenly it makes sense. So it's like I see a little routines that he has or any other player have them, but. You have to understand the concept of the whole round. And when I look through a demo and I uh, and I just kind of you know go through the rounds because it's antico and uh, I want to skip this round because I saw it live and I know exactly what happens. I want to point out those rounds that where, where I started to question myself like why is he wall banging this when he just molotov this position? And then I realized that. There was a chance that there might be someone in that got flashed in, and it all comes down to a macro CS, more of like. When you're watching POV of certain player, it's the same micro CS, you know, micro managing. Yeah. But when you when you don't understand something, you have to look at it at macro general kind of thing. And then if you still don't understand it, yeah, then that's probably a questionable play. But at my level, I think I understand pretty much all of things that he does or any other player does it just uh, has to be a right timing to do it and uh, yeah that's what i'm trying to figure out i love that you mentioned and use the, the term you know micro macro because 
That's like a, it feels like a subtle plug for all the content that I'm making right now because I'm, I'm trying to focus massively on trying to teach people the macro uh, aspects of the game because it, it feels like you don't have the proper context for, for, for anything if you don't understand how rotations work, the, like you know, how important timings are or, uh, you know, just, just, just so many, like it just plays into basically absolutely just everything. And there's all this content that's around, you know, nades or tactics or little tricks and so on. But it's ultimately um, all useless if you don't have a great grasp of what's you know, the macro strategy, like a default, for example, like what is, what is the strength of taking that map control and information and, and what is, what positions does that put the other team in? Cause it limits their information, which helps you to better predict what they're going to do and so on and so forth. You know, we could go into that for ages, but, but it's good to, it's good to see that. That you know, you seem to have like a very overall kind of approach here. Do you do you feel like you're 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 playing the best CS of your life right now? Ooh, that's a really hard question. <laughs> Since I'm in a new role, I can't really tell. I mean, individually and stats wise, I'm playing really good. I think lately, uh, it just kind comes to the experience on the top level. I need to play this kind of Counter Strike against Tier One. Against tier two, tier three, we were practicing daily, and I can't, I can't relate that kind of a game into official match or official tournament. It's a little bit hard against tier one, even if you know the players, what their tendencies are, and what they like to do. You have a hard time just winning duels. Just they're a little bit better than what you're used to. And that's when you need to have a little bit of experience to overcome it. And I have this kind of experience on a tier one level, but in a different role. And I, I'm used to have, facing different players in a 1v1 scenario, you know. But now that I'm a star player or player that gets more action on the server, I feel like I need to again regain that experience that I already have. But unfortunately, I can relate it from supportive role which is a completely different part of the map, different mindset and different usage of nades, weapons, teammates, whatsoever. I need I need that kind of experience on the playmaking position as well. Yeah, that makes complete sense. What do you think are the prospects of the current Godsent lineup? It's, it seems like a lineup that's packed full of experience and skill. Do you see uh, this lineup going um, going far in the next few months? Uh, let me pull up the HLTV ranking real quick, just to make sure. <laughs> okay, so currently, uh, when we're speaking, we're we're ranked 18, and uh, looking at the teams above us, uh, there are teams that we're definitely beating in the practice. On the, I'm not saying daily basis, but we would win like let's say seven out of ten matches against them. So I'm pretty sure this is not our peak performance, but uh, I would compare ourselves something to to the and Mad Lion situations when they when they skyrocketed past in the past four months like ten positions, and those ten positions are really hard to get in in any kind of ranking, which is from top twenty into top almost ten. So I would see ourselves at around top ten in the world uh, on our peak, probably like top eight if everything goes well. But you know, there's a lot of things to work on, and at the same time, as you said, we're a really experienced team where our average age is really high and there's not much you know shaping you can do to a player so if some of the players are developing bad habits there's not it's not like you can still build upon that and you can still overcome it somehow it's it's really hard at 
when you're playing Counter Strike for let's say seven, eight years, to, and you develop the bad habit, and by the way, all players have bad habits. If someone says they they don't have it, they're they're just lying or they don't know about it. Completely agree. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is that it's really hard. Let's say if you if our average age would be like twenty, and we would be ranked eighteen in the world right now, I would see ourselves. Uh, being in the top three, let's say. That's our ceiling because we have so much room to develop. But since we're kind of experienced players, as you said, and kind of, you know, leftovers in, in terms of teams probably didn't want us or they got or we got cut at some point, it's not much room for development anymore in a character and in-game scenario. So I would see ourselves at like top 10 in the world, probably, yeah, top 10. My final yeah, I, I mean, I think that's very fair. It feels like you know you, your team is is definitely like waiting in the wings to have some big results to jump those rankings. And speaking of um, you know experience and what that gives you, obviously there is this element when you have new players, young players that are very talented and, and very good that you don't know how they're going to respond when it comes to traveling for tournaments. A lot there's a lot to do with traveling. I mean, already like in, in you just talking about how stress of any kind can impact your performance. Obviously, finding that comfort and traveling a lot, that's something that you're very experienced with. But again, like a new player wouldn't know how to deal with. And then equally as well, like the pressure of playing on a stage or in front of people or in, in an environment that's not you know your bedroom and so on and so forth on a consistent basis and being able to use the pressure to leverage a better performance when it counts the most. Do you feel like that's something that you guys would be be able to do quite well do you what is your relationship been like with pressure um, over your career as well uh so i think we would be doing pretty well in terms of travel and the current system and ecosystem of counter-strike will allow teams to stay home a little bit more i think with the with all these exclusive leagues coming in and you don't have as much tournaments to play as it used to be before you know it's kind of kind of nice balance that they added this and there's going to be not so much travel, I believe. But on the other hand, there's going to be things like boot camps. So it's really it's really a trade-off. I'm not sure if it's worth it. But uh, yeah, you're definitely right that some players are not really okay with traveling, let's say, 200 days out of, out of the year. Uh, they're not really well-oriented when it comes to the airports, when it comes to the stress. Just when you're traveling to the event or from the event, it's so stressful. You, I'm pretty sure you you experienced this yourself. Uh, you you had a simple travel day to location A to location B, and you started real really well. Everything went smooth, but you came to the your final destination, and suddenly you were you were super tired. You were you were exhausted. You just wanted to lie down. I'm pretty sure you experienced this. And I and I read something about this on the internet from psychologists asking why are we so tired after traveling so much. Mainly, we're just sitting and waiting and doing nothing, listening to music, watching movie. We're just relaxing. And uh, they said, psychologists said, that the issue comes from the mental state of the human being. It's so stressful to travel, and you don't, don't even notice. You're always worried: Are you gonna Are you gonna make it in time to the airport? Are you gonna make it in through this uh, cluster of of people just to get to your gate in time? Are you gonna have enough time to eat? Are you gonna find something on this airport that you've never visited? that is good to eat you know all these kind of 
stuff might take toll on the young players that are coming into the pro scene, especially when it comes to the young players like, let's say, top of the mind, uh, Frozen and Oba, who are really young and they haven't experienced traveling themselves that much in their lifetime. So I'm I'm pretty sure this is something that you have to be taken care of uh, when it comes to new players approaching to the scene. It's not all, you know, just counter-strike, counter-strike, counter-strike and practice, practice, practice. It's mainly that, but you have to also be on point when it comes to traveling and you have to know how to socialize with your teammates. You're going to spend more time with them than you will ever with your family over the year or your girlfriend or whatever. So you really want to be, you know, intact with your team on the same wavelength. If something bothers you, just get it up front. Uh, it, it might be little things, like I said before, if something little bothers you, just bring it up. Does your teammate snore over in the night? Does it bother you? Does it make your, you, your sleep just not relaxable? So you, you bring it up front and you switch out the rooms and you bring, uh, bring the solution towards it. Just don't be, you know, stuck in this awkwardness of not talking because it's just going to keep overheating under the pot and at one point it will just explode with these little things that could be talked over uh, in the beginning. So it might be things like one teammate is vegetarian and we have to always adapt to him. So we will find something like compromise, you know, it's little things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think a lot of those little things are underestimated in how they can impact uh, the team team chemistry overall and and therefore the performance too because in being on teams in the past as well like whenever there's any level of resentment between teammates it, it that's that's a really dangerous place to be and some some people can create it just as you say just because they're actually too confrontation is so difficult for them they'd rather just not have a confrontation and then they would just rather be okay with just harboring some resentment but again it's just it's just a really bad place to be and i'm glad that these days you know we're getting a lot more professionalism whereby we'll have those sports performance coaches like i've had a a friend of mine uh, taylor johnson who's been on the podcast a couple of times uh, he was at uh, i met him at uh, one of the ecs green rooms and he was a sports performance coach for the 49ers and he's since come over to esports and one of the the, the roles that you know he serves if he is if he's like working with the team is specifically to optimize like to help every single player understand how to how to optimize all of that stuff you're just talking about so that all that stuff from like reduce the stress as much as possible find give you all these tools to handle it and deal with it to just all these things to help you make sure that your performance is at its best and and stuff like that just didn't exist um some years ago obviously to this is not something that's even necessarily widely accessible just yet to even some of the tier one teams um but it is getting there i think you know we, we are getting to that place which is good but yeah, the the other question I had for you uh, regarding the experience was, you know, what is, what is your relationship uh, for you as a player and, and person being uh, with handling pressure and performing well under pressure when you've been at, at events? Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be a boring answer though, but pressure at the events, I don't really, you don't really feel it as a player. I don't think any of the players really feel pressure at the event, unless it's a pressure that comes within the team. Let's say uh, there's going to be, um, Tier three event in Denmark, and suddenly Australis have to attend it for for whatever obligations. And people look at the team list and like, yeah, Australis has to win this. And that's the only pressure that they ever got. Uh, I don't feel like they 
the players feel the pressure when they're in front of the full stadium, but it it might be individual. I just never felt it, and I never played with a teammate that felt it. In my opinion, it, no no one ever bothered saying, uh, "Wow, there's a lot of people in the crowd." Uh, I think I'm getting a little bit nauseous, or I have anxiety, or whatever. I I just always we just look at looked at the crowd. We saw a lot of people in the crowd, and we're like, "Yeah, there's a lot of people," and we just kept playing. We just zoned out everything. And uh, there's a lot of stories where... I, I'm going to bring this up real quick. It's going to be a real quick story. V4 Budapest, when we won with Mouse Sports, before the final with Virtus Pro, there was a DJ playing, DJ Rehab. Probably you heard of him. He's from Belgium or something. He's a pretty known DJ. And he had a show before the, before the final. We were preparing for the final. Meanwhile, we were off the stage waiting for an announcer to, to put us in. We walk on the stage and everyone claps. And while we were waiting on the stage, we were rehearsing our pistol round of the first map. And then this dude walks in and tries to talk to us and we thought it's a it's a fan and there were uh, like security guards around us and not telling him to just go away so chris j just just turned to him and tell, told him to fuck off and then oscar said do you know who he was that was the dj just just played the set here he's probably more famous than we all are together <laughs> funny thing is this dj is oh he's not from belgium he's from netherlands and chris j just told him to fuck off so after the after the final after we won, I saw the Twitter and he he tweeted at him in in Dutch saying I'm sorry I didn't notice it was you and whatever. But we were so in the zone that we didn't even notice this famous person right next to us wanting to probably chat with us or take a picture with us. And uh, you know it's just it's just it's just like this. We just <laughs> I hope Chris J isn't mad that I said this story, but I'm. It's so worth it telling this because no one knows. No one saw it. It wasn't on stream, but I feel so good about saying, saying this story. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so just saying pressure, we don't feel it at all. I love the candidness of Dutch people. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one because um, I've in the, in the Quake days, my competing experience was in playing uh, Jewel, but, but I t what I took more seriously was the team games. And I found that the team games were like so different to a 1v1 sport. And the that the the 1v1 it was it was like there's it felt like there was no relief for and, and every single move that you make like all the focus is on you all the time and it's like being in a like in a clutch imagine being in a clutch in Counter Strike that feeling when your entire team's watching you it's like a 1v1 or a 1v2 or whatever and and imagine like having that feeling but just like for an in, an entire best of three that's that's kind of how the uh, in one versus one in Quake felt like I remember when I was a player and but in but when I was playing uh, Quake in the team game I just I didn't really feel it that much at all um, and it it was um, it, it's really interesting how there's how the the teammates that team environment can just change everything especially if you have good teammates because I also had experiences too when when I've had not so great teammates and and then it feels like I have to do more then I really can be expected to do to carry the performance and carry people you know, emotionally or whatever. And then it just, it just all falls apart. It's just when you feel like you have to take on too much. And uh, so it's, it's cool to hear that, uh, <laughs> that story as well from Chris J because, because yeah, that just like the Dutch candidness is amazing. Sometimes I feel like a lot of the Dutch people I've known are just like very, very straightforward. And, and in this, in the sense that they will just, they will, they will, if they want to tell you to fuck off, they will. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so do you do you feel like um, obviously like the the 2018 
Mouse Sports lineup was amazing. You know, so many people were huge fans of that team just because, you know, yourself, Chris J, Rops, you know, Sonny and Oscar, this was just such an interesting collection of individuals. You had these star players, you know, yeah, you guys were just, it's just hard not to be a fan of every single one of you. There was just something about that team that was really special. And I think a lot of us felt like uh, Mouse Sports was one, was maybe the biggest casualty to the overcrowded schedule in, um, in, in Counter-Strike back in that era and that you guys would perhaps have performed a lot better if you had just take it, had the ability to, and I don't know if the pressure came from the Mouse Wars organization or if you guys found yourself in a situation where you accidentally said yes to too many tournaments, which happens sometimes. And and uh, even even though that sounds weird, that is the thing that's happened to loads of teams all the time. Um, but but do, you, do you feel like that that if you, if you could go back, you would just have played less tournaments and then you feel like you would have gotten better results? So how do you feel about that that time and and the reason the team broke up and everything. Yeah, so for me personally, I didn't feel like we had too many tournaments. I, I don't mind traveling at the tournaments as long as it doesn't necessarily lower your your habits or lower your percentage of winning the next event. Meaning that if you're at the event and you, let's say you have three events in a row and you go to the first one, you do pretty well, you get out of the groups, you, you end up in a semifinal. Then on the next one, you bomb out in the groups and you you don't win a single map. And then you go into the third one with the mindset that you already lost, you did pretty okay, then you lost one, and this is this is the one that you have to focus on the, the, the most. But what I'm trying to say is that if you bomb out of that second tournament, you can't, you know, cry over it for upcoming four days and just waste four days and then go into the, the third tournament not prepared. What I'm uh, what we were really bad at is uh, we were really bad at practicing at events, even though we had access to computers 24-7 pretty much. But I feel like as soon as we were in the comfort zone of a, of a LAN environment and we could have chilled in our room instead, we were focusing on getting well in a mental state rather than getting well in a real practice scenario or real server, you know. So. We were underestimating practice. I'm not gonna not gonna lie about that. We were not practicing as much as we should have. And when it comes to the minor preparation, we had to uh, the the minor we lost and we disbanded eventually. Uh, we had a bootcamp scheduled, but we had to again for the for the reasons I won't make public. We had to cancel that bootcamp. It was personal reasons and. It just felt like we were going into the tournament, you know, not prepared and just wanting to wanting to win it quick or end it quick. It was just I don't I don't really like that approach of a team. I I hope I will never ever live through the same scenario that I lived back then. I want to avoid it at any cost, and that's why I'm uh, maybe a little bit too harsh on my teammates right now to, with the practice. Uh, I want to practice a little bit. I feel like I want to practice a little bit more than than my teammates are uh, are used to. But uh, this is the price that you want to climb those rankings we were just mentioning. We just climbed up to 18, and uh, there's only going to be harder and harder work ahead of us. So I'm not saying that we have to practice eight or ten hours per day. More practice doesn't necessarily mean better practice. But I want to maximize our practice when we're at the bootcamp. I want to have balance between on-server practice, off-server, 
you know, interaction between players and also some theory sessions where we go over stuff on an empty server or we go over stuff on, let's say, Skybox or, or other platforms that are accessible to us as a players. Yes, got to love Skybox. Are you, are you enjoying it? I am enjoying it. I am enjoying it. I, uh, I still prefer POV demos just because I can see clearly, you know, everything. But the, the demo UI in the CS is just atrocious. So Skybox <laughs> saves me like lifetime. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's it's definitely a game changer. It sounds like you know you have a really healthy attitude on the on the on the team at least. Considering that the game is ex- so competitive, especially like in the, the top twenty area that you're in, is like the most surely the most competitive it can possibly be. Almost it almost feels like maybe I mean it's it's harder to break into the top eight. Um, and, or, or rather it's easier to kind of, once you're in the top eight to kind of stay there for a bit, as opposed to try to break through that, all those like gatekeepers along the way in the top 20, um, because there's so many good teams and players and it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, but I wanted to ask you actually about some things that are a little bit more kind of, as we're coming to the end of the, of of the podcast, uh, I wanted to ask you about some more topical things that are happening right now. Um, and, and the first is going to be maybe a little bit selfish because I've been playing quite a lot of uh, pugs myself lately. And, and uh, I think, you know, the changes to recent changes to, let's say, you know, uh, maps like Mirage, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because my, my first thought as a, that is that it will, it will be awful in pro play. Um, and obviously it's awful in pugs as well because it just absolutely we- it weakens the, the CT hold of cats so, so much and makes it the value proposition there to try to hold it just like terrible for the CTs. Um, but, but yeah, so what do you think about some of the map changes we've had recently, such as the bench on Mirage? So the Mirage is kind of a unfortunate question because it's our Insta Vito. So I try to avoid it as well as, <laughs> Fair enough. as in Bucks. But I'm going to say in general, okay, with Train, Dust2 and Mirage changes. So I feel like these changes are, uh, are benefits to, to to the players and spectators, meaning that we are changing something. There's going to be a little bit of innovation. I already found, personally, it took me like two hours to find the smokes on New Dust 2, which are like good. Like I don't give any advantage to, to our opposition and they're only advantageous to us uh, through that B skybox, you know? So I, it took me two hours. I never told it's going to take so much. I, I had like 20 minutes and I was like, yeah, let's search for the smokes. But then I realized I want to have it from this position so I'm not getting picked off from the anyone peeking tunnels. Then I want to have through this. And then I realized it's not possible. The angles didn't quite work. The the jump throw didn't quite work back then. And, you know, I was, I was really stuck there for two hours just trying to brainstorm how the hell am I supposed to smoke this thing off? And uh, when I found it, I felt so relieved that, wow, once we hit the theory session with my teammates, I'm going to show this smoke to them and they're all going to be like, wow, you're so good. And this is a feeling I really, I really look forward to. So whenever these changes come, I want to get ahead of the meta as soon as possible because it might not look that important, these changes that just happened, but there might be in the future certain skybooks removed which opens up the smoke that changes the whole meta. I'm going to bring an extreme uh, example. Let's say on Inferno, you will be once again able to smoke down banana from CT spawn like you used to on old Inferno. That 
kind of change will change the way Inferno is played. And these kind of smokes can be found on maybe some other maps as well. Maybe there's one on a train, but we don't know yet. I want to search for it the first. I want to be the first one who find it out. And then we are going to get ahead of the other teams for like, let's say, a week. Because it will take a week for other teams to catch up on it from the practice. Then they will have to search for it. Then we'll, then we'll have to... Uh, make a good use of it, create stress around it, whilst we already made three defaults around that smoke. You know what I'm saying? So I welcome these changes because it just gives me an, an idea and an opportunity to to jump up a little in that skill ceiling, in that in that one v one duel, in that one v one clutch. I, if I know this smoke, I'm gonna win that clutch. Or if I know this Molo through open skypos, I can molly off the bomb and he will be unable to defuse. These little things are I, I'm always concerned myself about. So when I I don't mind changes. If it happens, there's nothing I can do about it. It's not like they're gonna revert the changes tomorrow. I will just adapt to it as fast as possible. And this applies to my life idea as well. Whenever something happens you can't control, just forget it. Like start learning how to adapt to it. If tomorrow there's gonna be dust to removed and train removed and they're going to reintroduce cash and cobblestone instead of writing about it on Twitter that, wow, these changes suck, Valve, you, you suck. Uh, I'm going to hop on the server and search for all nades, all angles and all possible scenarios I can find myself in the upcoming days. Right? Yeah, for sure. I, th I think that's, I think that's um, a position that's, that's always very interesting because you can't, if you wanted to, you could maybe, you know, you could maybe make a, a an objective argument based off of the theory of understanding the game that oh I think this change is bad, but I think it's it's interesting because obviously you know you could sit down and and you could you could make that argument and there's lots of ways you could do it intelligently rationally um, in a in a way that's very reasonable well reasoned argument, um, but at the same time as you say you know as you are a player that's an important perspective to remember and. And I always found it very interesting at the top level, the difference between um, players and the way that they see the game in the sense that some, as you say, so, some players are really good because they're just, they're very good at executing and performing, but they're not great necessarily at, at innovating or being creative, or maybe they're not great at, at uh, you know, having as good of a game sense as everybody else. And if you put them in the right spot and the right role, they're going to be, you know, elite performers, but stuff like this, this tends to not reward those kinds of players. It rewards the players who are smart innovators, who really understand the game and also the people that want to really work hard. And I, I actually have to say, even if the ch a change objectively might make a map worse, I'm actually totally okay with it as well. If, if it is the case that, you know, we, we, we get it for enough time for people to adjust. And, and when you get a bunch of uh, professional teams, we're going to see, it's going to be interesting, like, because there's people like you out there who will find those edges and it's like, holy shit, we thought that it was supposed to work like this, but just this like slight difference in a placement or timing actually does change this dynamic a bit. And now here is the, here is a new meta. And this is actually kind of interesting. And, and I do like that, that sense of evolution, even if again, objectively, you can make some arguments against something being good for the overall quality. I think the meta the way, you know, just having a metagame as, as we do and such an active pro scene, I think it really mitigates that. And, and at the end of the day, uh, the entertainment for us is what's most important. And so long as the, the players feel like the competitive integrity is still there uh, behind the game, I guess it's, it should, should all be, be good to go. 
Um, yeah, definitely. Do you, do you think um, like moving more towards like a uh, you know the the kind of team the teams in twenty twenty right now? I think it's interesting to to kind of look at how the year starts. And you know, so far we've had a really good start from complexity. Obviously, it's very a very small amount of games, but there's a huge focus, and, and I, I'm sure a huge pressure on on the players of that team, given the investment going into them and that team. And so far, it's looking pretty decent. I, I was I actually speaking of Skybox. I actually looked at some of their demos on Skybox to kind of see, you know, are they kind of playing out of their minds individually, and is this is this just you know a flash in the pan performance, or is it are they actually making a really good decision strategically? Do they have good coordination and so on and so forth? And it, it seemed like to me that, yes, they're playing really confidently, but it does seem like strategically they're shaping up quite well, even though there are some, like I, I saw some, some clear errors here or there, which they are making up for with individual skill. Do you think this team has some legs to it? Do you think it's going to go far? Or is it, or do you think it is like just like a honeymoon period, like some people are saying? I would say a little bit of both. I would say I would attribute this blast performance to a little bit of a honeymoon period, in my opinion. I we never practiced them, I believe, so I it's really hard for me to say. But just you know, looking at their games and looking at the roster, I I think it was a little bit of honeymoon period. But I I do think they're they definitely belong in top twenty, probably top fifteen. They're kind of same deal as as us, I would say, but. What I what I don't see them doing in the long run is outplacing OG. I think OG is just a little bit ahead, just a little bit better. When I look at the practice we've had with them, when I look at their performance at uh, ICE Challenge, I, I understand they went out basically in the quarterfinal, but I still really like them more than complexity. And no offense to any players, I just like their style more. I think it's more sustainable in the long run, and it comes with a with the experience of the likes of uh, MBK, Valde, you know, Alex B, and uh, I just see them a little bit more experienced. And if I w I would love to see a game between Complexity and OG in upcoming whatever tournaments. I don't even know if they have any like mutual tournaments that they're gonna attend, but yeah, I would give OG a little bit of a you know in terms of uh, this comparison of uh, young teams, international teams. They're both basically from Europe. I would count Complexity as EU team now. So I don't know. I think I think Complexity definitely top 15, but OG is a little bit better. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops over time. Uh, I, think, I think it's at least cool to see that for Complexity. They are having some success, so that should buy them more time as well. Um, but speaking of time, um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we've, we've come to just over an hour here. So uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to to speak to you. And it's, it's been uh, a joy to have you on the podcast. So, you know, thank you for sending me the message. I would love to have you on again at some point if you if you have some availability. Yeah, thank you. you know, thank you so much. I would love to say thank you for reaching out, but I actually reached out. So <laughs> exactly. it doesn't quite worry. But yeah, thanks for thanks for accepting. And I actually... The ideas that I brought up in our Twitter DMs, I feel like I I shared something new with the community that I never shared before or was never heard before, you know. So I think there's some educational purposes to this podcast as well. So I hope you enjoyed it. 
And one thing I have to say is I might I might be hitting you up at some point because um, if, if you are down to do it, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of, I'm trying to collect uh, people that want to talk about some of those macro elements of, of the game, uh, you know, the, the strategy and just, and also kind of talking about, you know, just scenarios that are happening that we're seeing, you know, from the you know, recent pro matches, you know, interesting things to talk about in that sense. Because around that, I feel like there's no real discussion so yeah, if that's something you're interested in, I'll I'll definitely be the one messaging you next time. <laughs> I, I as I said, I want to be the most all-around player there is, and I feel like this is gonna be just shaping up my in-game leading skills in case I, you know, I will be just seeing other teams reacting to other teams. So I'm down. I'm down. I really need to work on this. So I'm glad you brought this up. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, man. Yep. Thank you very much.